Thank you, girls. Um, what a wonderful song. As I look out on your faces here, I know that uh, there are disappointments among us, right? There are times when many of you have struggled and are struggling even today. And so as we come to God's Word today, we're not just reading a story about something in the distant past. We're reading a story that helps us in our lives today uh, to understand what it means to deal with difficulties, with times when our world seems like it's falling apart. So we come today to the story of David, and uh, sometimes it's easy to lose track where we are in the story. By the way, uh, thank you to Ryan Marshall and Adele Marshall uh, for putting together a podcast of these sermons. And so now, if you have a podcast uh, catcher, I guess you call it, uh, you can type in the United Church of Canandaigua, and you can get just the audio of these sermons. So if you've missed a few weeks in the David series, I'd encourage you to, to do that and listen uh, for you know anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes, and you can listen to just the sermon part, um, not the whole service, and, and kind of catch up with where we are. But we begin this morning, and I'm going to take some time just to kind of pull us up to speed on where we are in the story. And then we're going to be looking at a fairly large portion of text this morning. So we're not going to read every word. We're just going to kind of walk through it together. So let me invite you to find a Bible and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 19. That's where we are in the story. And you may or may not remember that at this point in the story, David is living in the palace, but he's not yet king. Saul is still king. At the same time, Saul has been rejected by God as king. And as we're going to see today, he is becoming more and more unstable. It begins with this evil spirit terrorizing him, or it began with an evil spirit terrorizing him. That's how David was brought into the palace to play the harp for him, to sing for him. And then David kills Goliath, and in doing so, he becomes famous in the land. And as David's popularity is growing, Saul's jealousy is also growing. It doesn't help that people are writing songs about David, saying that David has killed 10,000 while Saul is credited with only 1,000. Again, Saul is growing more and more jealous and suspicious of David. And again, in this chapter, David is simply playing his harp. He's trying to help Saul. Saul hurls a spear at him. You might remember this dynamic. And again, David is humble and remaining humble through the whole thing. He's just doing what he's supposed to do. And by the time we open up chapter 19, David is an officer in Saul's army. He's having great success. Look with me at 1 Samuel 19, verse 8. Once more war broke out and David went out and fought the Philistines. He struck them with such force that they fled before him. And then in verses 9 and 10, But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with a spear in his hand. While David was playing the lyre, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. Now, it's a good thing. Again, this happens twice. It happens in the previous chapter. It happens again in chapter 19. And we read in verse 11, Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, warned him, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. So Michal let David down through a window, and he fled and escaped. And, and look at what happens next. This is kind of like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You ever watch that movie? Look at verse 13. Then Michal took an idol and laid it on the bed, covering it with a garment and putting some goat's hair at, his head, at the head. Now, Saul is serious about killing David. He sends his men to get David so they can kill him. 
And when they arrive, Michael says, well, he's not feeling well. He's in the bed. They go back to Saul and tell him that David is sick. Saul says, well, get him anyway. And when they get back, they find the idol laying in the bed with goat's hair. Saul asks his daughter, why did you deceive me like this? She lies. She tells her dad that David tried to kill her. And as you might imagine, this only infuriates Saul, making him even more determined to kill David. So in this process, David loses his wife, Michal. Saul gives her to another man in marriage. Now, where does David go? Look at verse 18. When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Naoth and stayed there. Now, you might imagine the conversation. David goes where? He goes to Samuel. I bet the conversation went something like this. Samuel, didn't you anoint me as king, right? So what's going on here? I'm about to get killed here. I'm never going to make it to king because Saul is out to get me. And Samuel tells them, look, we're in danger. We have to move. And so they go to this place called Naoth. But Saul gets word that they are there. And he sends his men there. And what happens at the end of chapter 19 is really pretty strange. Look at this. Saul sends his men. But when they arrive, God's spirit lands on them and they begin to prophesy. I bet you didn't see that one coming, right? What does that mean? It probably means that as they got there, they'd come to kill David, but instead God's Spirit lands on them, and they begin to sing praises to God, maybe even rebuking each other. They came to kill David, but instead they're praising God. And look at verse 21. This happens over and over. Saul was told about it. He sent more men, and they prophesied too. Saul sent men a third time, and they also prophesied. Finally, Saul himself decides to make his way there. And look at what happens to him in verse 23. So Saul went to Naoth at Ramah. But the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God came even on him. And he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth. He stripped off his garments and he too prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay naked all that day and all that night. This is why people say, is Saul among the prophets? Let's keep going in the story. We flip over to chapter 20 here. We find David making his way to Jonathan. Now it's worth noting that somewhere along the way, David loses Samuel. So far, David has lost his wife, and now he loses Samuel. You remember that movie Eagle Eye in 2008? Does anybody remember that movie? In the movie, two strangers are caught off guard as they receive these strange messages. Jerry, Jerry Shaw is one of them. He's kind of a slacker. He has an overachieving twin brother. And after his twin dies in an accident, strange things start happening to Jerry at a dizzying pace. A fortune shows up in his bank account. Weapons are delivered to his flat. A voice on his cell phone tells him that, his, that the police are on their way. Jerry follows the voice's instructions. And soon, he and a woman he's never met are racing through the city. They're on a plane, and eventually they go to the Pentagon. They're chased by the FBI. She is Rachel Holloman, a single mom, and the voice had threatened her, her, her son's death if she doesn't cooperate. The voice seems to know everything, and they're just moving from one place to the other. And things are, what's happening here? What's happening there? That seems to be what's happening here for David. He's just going from place to place, and strange things are happening, and he doesn't know what's going to happen next. Chapter 20, he goes to his friend Jonathan. Remember Jonathan? He's Saul's son, David's best friend. And he asks them about these events. Look at verse, chapter 20, verse 1. Then David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, 
What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? Help me understand what's happening here. Why is your dad trying to kill me? Now, Jonathan at first can't believe that his dad would try to kill David. And he tells David, look, we'll figure this thing out together. The next day is a festival. And David has an appointment to dine with the king, with Saul. David asked Jonathan to monitor his, his father's actions in his absence. Look at verse 6. If your father misses me at all, tell him David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for the whole clan. If he says, very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he's determined to harm me. It's kind of the test to see what's going to happen here. And so David hides in the field and waits. And they set up a signal here in verse 20. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I were shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy and say, go find the arrows. Now, if I say to him, look, the arrows are on, the side of you, on this side of you, bring them here. Then come, because as surely as the Lord lives, you are safe. There is no danger. But if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are beyond you, then you must go, because the Lord has sent you away. Now, again, Jonathan and David are friends. They have a covenant with each other. No matter what happens, they say, we've got each other's back. They're going to be faithful to each other no matter what. And so they sit down to dinner. The festival for several days, again, David is out in the field. Jonathan is at the dinner. The first day, David is absent. Saul doesn't say anything. The next day, verse 27. But the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again. Then Saul said to his son, Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Just as they planned, Jonathan tells him that David is on a trip to Bethlehem to visit his family for a sacrifice. And look at how Saul responds in verse 30. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. And he said to him, you, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now, send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Pretty clear, right? Jonathan doesn't understand. He asks his father, why do you want to harm David? And then in verse 32, why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. No doubt at all at this point. It's clear to Jonathan that Saul is he's crazy, right? I mean, he even tried to kill his own son. And now he's thinking David is certainly in trouble. So he goes and he shoots the arrow. He tells his servant to go further. Again, that's the signal that David must flee. The servant boy did not know what was going on. For the end of chapter, tw chapter 20 then, in verse 41, we see a tearful goodbye between David and Jonathan. Again, we got to remember David and Jonathan have a covenant with each other. This is going to be important later in the story. But for now, David leaves Jonathan. Now, now think about this for David. He's lost so much in such a short amount of time. He's lost his wife somewhere along the way. He loses Samuel. And now he's lost his best friend. Everything seems to be going wrong for him. 
Now, let's read the final piece of today's story as we flip over to chapter 21. Where does David go next? He leaves Jonathan and heads to a place called Nob. And there he finds the priest Ahimelech. Now, Ahimelech was the great-grandson of Eli. Do you remember him? And when David sees him, or when he sees David coming along, he's afraid. He's worried because David is alone. Look at verse, this is 1 Samuel 21, verse 2. David answered Ahimelech the priest. The king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, No one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. So David is coming. He's hungry. He needs provisions. And he lies, doesn't he? He says, I'm on a mission for Saul. Was it okay for David to lie, you might be asking? Now, you might make the case, well, he's got to survive, right? So he's just doing what he can to survive. But it's worth noting that David's deception here is going to result in the death of Ahimelech and the priest there at Nob in chapter 22. I love how the Bible just records things as they are, don't you? It doesn't try to paint David as a perfect person who gets it right all the time. He makes mistakes along the way, and this is one of those. Ahimelech tells him that the only bread that he has is holy bread. This is the bread that is used by the priest according to the rules. It must be consumed in the holy place. The priest must also be clean. Look at verse 4. But the priest answered David, I I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there's some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. So Ahimelech is bending the rules a little bit here. It's worth noting that Jesus later uses this story to highlight mercy over rules. Now, sexual conduct was a, was a source of uncleanness in this day and time, especially on military missions, and that's why he's mentioning that here. But David assures Ahimelech that the men have been kept from women. Verse 5, David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us, as usual, whenever I set out. The men's things are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more today? So the priest gave them the consecrated bread. And David makes the case, the priest gives them food to eat. As we're reading this story, we're told that Saul has a spy in the mix here. Look at verse verse 7. Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doag the Edomite, Saul's head shepherd. Now remember that name, it's going to come up in the future too. It's going to spell trouble for the priests in the later chapter. David then asked Ahimelech, Do you have any weapons? We've got bread now, now we need weapons. And Ahimelech tells him, the only thing I've got is Goliath's sword. And so David takes it and he heads off. The final part of chapter 21 here highlights a low point in David's life. I'll simply tell the story since we're covering so much text this morning. David goes to the Philistines. Isn't that kind of crazy? (laughs) Out of all the places he's going to go, he goes to the Philistines. I guess when the king of Israel is trying to kill you, that might be the place you need to be. As soon as he shows up at the Philistine camp, he is recognized. Look at chapter 21, verse 12. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the door of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Can you just see that picture with me for a moment of David just acting like an insane person think of all that he's been through just in these chapters that we've read again he's lost his wife 
He's lost Samuel, his spiritual guide. He's lost Jonathan, his best friend. And now he's even lost his dignity. He can't even find relief in the enemy camp. Look at how Achish responds. Achish said to his servants, look at the man, look at the man, he is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow to me to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? I've got enough people around here that are insane, he says. Get him out of here. And David, again, is not even welcome in that place. He seems to have lost it all. What a story, right? Not boring, is it? As I told you earlier, you don't, you're not going to get bored as we walk through David's life together. As we close this morning, I want to just kind of back up and just look at these three chapters from a bird's eye point of view. Think about where we've gone. David has moved from a fairly peaceful and secure place in Saul's palace to a terrifying race as a fugitive. He's done nothing wrong, and yet he finds himself losing everything. And he might be asking, why, God? What are you doing here? Why did God allow David to suffer like this? To lose so much, to experience so much pain. And the message of this text is, in fact, I don't think we know why, but we know that God is with him, even in the most uncertain times. God will use this experience in David's life to make him into the king that he desires him to be. And maybe this morning you're in a place where you're dealing with heartbreak. You're dealing with loss. You're asking God, God, why has this happened to me? Maybe it's a broken romance. You thought this man or this woman was going to be forever, but now they're gone. Maybe it was a dream that was broken for you. Maybe a job loss or a rejection letter from a school. Maybe you've had a disappointing doctor's report. What do you do? Where is God in all of this? We learn from this story that God is in the middle of it all. Even in loss, even in rejection, even in pain, even in suffering. God is working. God is moving. God is going to use these events in David's life to make him into the man that he wants him to be. You know, sometimes... When we lose the things that are most precious to us, when we're in the most difficult parts of life, that's when God is most present and most visible. God's always there. He's always present. But it's when we learn to depend on him the most. We learn that he is truly the only thing that is dependable. Maybe this morning God would be calling some of us to depend on him even more. How will we respond to his word? Would you pray with me? God, we're grateful this morning for the story of David. As we walk through the story, we walk with David through intense disappointments, even to the place where his life is on the line. And God, as we often experience disappointments in our own life, we pray that we would learn of your provision for us. That as David sought you and called out to you, we would do the same thing. It's okay to say, why God? sometimes but in the end God we trust you we know that you are with us we know that you are going to care for us provide for us and we depend on you in Jesus name we pray amen